0: it's sort of like the big chill but covered up in a sense of foreboding and threat you don't know who if is there's one killer is there several is it going to be a complete massacre are there going to be supernatural elements so it kind of constantly keeps you guessing
1: it absolutely blew me away because I just didn't know what it was or what was going to happen from one minute to the next. Everything is not quite as it seems and he is increasingly paranoid that there is something dangerous afoot and it gets more and more terrifying as it goes on.
0: You can really feel that there's secret intentions going on behind this dinner party. This is not just a fun reunion. <laughs> Hey
2: everybody, welcome to this episode of Let's Watch a Podcast. I'm joined by Mike.
1: Hello. Anna. Hi.
2: And Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Karen Kasama's film, The Invitation.
3: Hello and welcome to this episode of FlixWatcher Podcast. Joining us today remotely, we have Mike and Anna. If you would like to say hello and tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please.
1: So, my name's Mike, I am a video and TV producer, and I'm also a producer and host of the Evolution of Horror podcast. So, I currently produce the BBC Inside Cinema strand, that's my day job, which I love, which is uh, essentially little short videos every week on BBC iPlayer about film and about cinema, um, which is great fun, and it means I get to do it safely in isolation at home, uh, with no danger there, so I'm very lucky.
2: So, you don't need to... You don't need to like shake anyone's hand to do this job not at all I'm, I'm,
1: I am living the lockdown dream right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of the lucky ones. Definitely. Were you in
2: lockdown beforehand anyway, or were you actually going into an office to do this?
1: Do you know what? We, we did it in an office, but I always thought I could easily just do it at home, you know? So <laughs> not that I don't love being, uh, working with colleagues, but you know, I, this, this works just as well. So yeah, again, very lucky. I know some people who do a continuity,
2: uh, announcements in between shows and they, I think I think they're on it. I think they're on BBC One, and they wanted to go to BBC Four because BBC Four is all pre-recorded, whereas the BBC One you have to do it live and have to do it in, and you have to do it. In, you have to actually go into the building to oh. do it. But then they they moved to BBC Four, which meant they could just pre-record everything, just wake up one morning, do all the links, upload it to Dropbox or whatever the BBC uses, and then that's their job done. And I thought that sounds great. And you get paid the same money, apparently. So oh, why wouldn't you? That is
1: that's the dream, dream, isn't it? Exactly. That is the dream. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty nice. Although, you know, this weekend it's been so sunny. The weekend we're recording this, and that is the only problem, isn't it? With this current yeah. situation, is I would love to be out in some sun at some point. <laughs>
2: oh well, hopefully. Well, you can, you've got your one exercise a day. That's Mandated. It. Yeah. Um, who are you? Good lady.
0: Hi, um, I'm Anna. I'm a freelance film programmer, film writer, and podcaster. Um, I run a film festival called Underwire Festival, and I co-founded the horror film collective The Final Girls, which is also a podcast that I host and produce. And I also do another horror-themed podcast, which is uh, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast that I host with uh, Clarice Lockrey.
2: Clarice has been on this podcast before. So tell us about American Horror Story, is that, is that still on Netflix?
0: It is still on Netflix. Uh, The 10th series is coming out hopefully this year. Hopefully it's not delayed. And it's, so our podcast is called The Next Supremes and it's essentially in this lockdown moment. It is comfort viewing. It's, you know, going back to something I've watched over and over again. That's equal parts horrific and very campy and has some of my favorite performers ever and is endlessly quotable and just really fun to dig into a little bit.
2: Well, yeah, I should. It's one of the few, it's one of the few TV shows I've not even tried watching yet. So maybe when there's a bit more time, which is now, uh, I'll get around to watching it. H- H- Helen, have you seen uh, American Horror Story?
3: No, I haven't. Um, I mean, I'm notoriously bad with watching TV programs anyway, so it's not one that um, I've yet gone into. Maybe when I finish ER for the fifth time, I'll look at getting some new ones.
2: <laughs> uh, so we're here talking today about the invitation, which is your choice, Mike. Yes. Can you tell us first of all why you chose it and give us a synopsis in one minute or
1: less? I love the invitation, so I'm a I'm a horror fan from my whole life, really a lifelong horror fan. Hence, why I do a horror podcast. And I love watching movies that completely surprise me and movies that I know nothing about. And I think this movie in particular is a really good one to watch right now. It's a good one to watch at home, I think. And I think I first discovered it, possibly on Netflix. I watched it on a small screen and it absolutely blew me away because I just didn't know what it was or what was going to happen from one minute to the next. So the story, very briefly, is a guy played by Logan Marshall Green gets an invitation to a dinner party. It's his ex-wife and her new husband. They turn up at this dinner party. But everything is not quite as it seems. And he is increasingly paranoid that there is something dangerous afoot at this dinner party. And it gets more and more terrifying as it goes on.
2: So could you, did you not see anything that was happening what was going to happen in the film? In, in the what, story?
1: I, what I love about it is that it, it took me by surprise at every turn. So I, I obviously watched it knowing it was some kind of horror or thriller, but it's such a slow burn and it's so deliberately paced and it takes its time with just being stuck in this very awkward situation with these characters. And it's kind of horrific from the start, but not in a classic horror kind of way. But I found myself becoming more and more gripped just by watching this awkward interactions between all of our sort of characters in this dinner party and then of course as stuff starts to ramp up and it becomes increasingly sort of classic horror uh it just gets more and more terrifying and i i love the way that it takes its time and never quite shows its hand until the very 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 final act sort of the last 10-15 minutes i love that i love films that do that and it, it really did take me by surprise yeah
2: it seemed kind of sure-footed with what it, the, with the plan. They seemed to know exactly what it was going to do, and as you said, it, it kind of stuck to that. Um, so when I I, I can had no idea where it was going, and I knew it was horror-ish, and I, I guess it's, it sets the premise quite well because everything you can just sense right from the start, nothing's quite right, and by the fact the killer a, a coyote at the right <laughs> and start, it kind of like okay, this is already but,
1: on. It, yeah, it's it's, it's it's like a bad sort of harbinger from the start, isn't it? At that moment yeah. when he has to kill the coyote. It's like, oh, no, this is going to end badly. Yeah.
3: In my yeah. notes, I put that it's never a good start if you run something over. So. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> was it,
1: was,
2: in, in Get Out, did they run something over? I yeah, I, they did. I don't remember that right again.
1: Yeah, it's uh, got a very, very similar kind of setup to Get Out at in some ways, hasn't it? This kind of like this awkward going yeah. to meet. It's like going to meet the in-laws, going to meet the ex and the, and their new family, and it, and it's yeah. that same kind of build-up of dread of like what's really going on here and increasing paranoia. I love it. So
0: going to a bougie house in the mountains, it's never a good plan.
1: Never good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. I think I watched this film for the first time also on a small screen. I can't remember exactly when or where. I think it was a little while after it was released because it had one of those Blink and You Miss It releases in cinemas in the UK. And I was already a a big admirer of Karen Kusama, the director from the previous work that she's done. And this sort of flew under the radar and then suddenly appeared. Well, she did Girlfight, uh, which was her first film, which won her a big prize at Sundance. And then she did Jennifer's Body as well, which was also written by Diablo Cody, uh, which I think is really underrated as a kind of um, as a zombie monster film in its own right. But in any case, I kind of knew who she was, but I knew nothing about the film. And just like Mike said, it was such, it had such tinges of familiar situations familiar characters familiar tropes from thrillers from whodunits from horror films you know it's all set in one location you can tell that everybody has tense past relationships it's sort of like the big chill but covered up in a sense of foreboding and threat and you can't quite put your finger on what is or who is the threatening force in there but you can feel it and as stuff starts to ramp up in the in the second half of the film you're kind of just completely going with it and you don't know what really is happening you don't know who if is there's one killer is there several is it going to be a complete massacre are there going to be supernatural elements so it kind of constantly keeps you guessing and even as i was re-watching yeah. it it still kept me guessing and was still so um thrilling but also repressive because it's in this big bougie fancy house and you just feel the weight of the history of it the history of the characters between between one another and the pressure of not really knowing what the secret plan is behind this whole encounter because you can really feel that there's um there's secret intentions going on behind this dinner party this is not just a fun reunion (laughs) <laughs>
2: Helen, all, your, your, all three of you guys are horror fans, uh, by the way. You guys have two horror podcasts, and I know uh, Helen's a horror, a horror nerd. And uh, what were your what were your thoughts on this, Helen?
3: Yeah, so I hadn't seen this one, but it had been on my um, watch list for a while. Um, It's been recommended to me. So um, when you picked it, I was like, yes, I do finally get to watch that. And yeah, I didn't really know that much about it, um, which I think is definitely the best way to go into it. And um, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I just love the, the feeling of dread that you get. And there's this perfect moment in it where it's, the right amount of paranoia that almost makes you think, actually, is he just imagining things? Is it not really as worse as it could be? And you start to question that yourself and then it flips everything and you're like, oh, yes, here is the crazy. Um, and it comes comes at you really like in the best way possible. And I also like that it doesn't overextend kind of its moment. It's really sort of sharp and punchy and you're sort of dealing with the – so this is what it is. Oh, my God, it's happening. It's in your face. It's happening. Oh, it's over. Not that it stretches out for ever and ever. Um, and sort of the main guy, Will, um, who I know is discount Tom Hardy, is really, really good in this. Like he is a man who has got a lot going on and you can just feel like he's so over consumed with grief and because you don't really know what went on, but it's something really, really awful. And you just sort of feel all of that through him. So it's actually a really good performance from him.
2: Yeah, I like the way the story unfolded between him and his ex-wife as to, you know, why they split up. And it wasn't um, super explicit, but it just kept, you could see those tension right from the start, but also there was still kind of a love there. But um, and when he, that kind of, when he had that reveal, I thought it was done really well. Um, and... I liked how there's just lots and lots of little things seeded through, like not like locking the doors behind people. And first seeing that character when she was just kind of in the hallway and she's like, she's bottomless. Uh, where's, where's this guy that's not turned up? Uh, all these kind of things like kind of brought back and becomes more and more, you know, the, the barbiturates in, the, in, the, um, in her bedroom. Will just walking around, at the, you know, he's in their old house, but also he's, he feels very unfamiliar with it. Uh, and then they bring that screen up and show this this um, this person just dying, and everyone and there those four kind of uh, random characters—Will's ex-wife and her husband, um, There's that guy, and um, I can't I can't remember the lady's name—they're all like, "Isn't that just a beautiful thing?" And everyone's like, "Is it? Did we just see someone die? And what what is this exactly? Why are we here?" And then then it just kind of ramps up a bit, but just it's still there's still a lot of tension there. Um, yeah,
1: it's good fun. It um, it it taps into about six of my fears. Really, it's like this fear of kind of enclosed spaces because they're trapped in this house. It's also uh, about cults, and cults absolutely scare the shit out of me. Uh, these kind of like very like Mansonite type of people, um, and you know fear of really awkward dinner parties that you cannot get out <laughs> from as well. Like there's a, there is a lot to be truly terrified of in this film. And, you know, whatever your hang-ups are or your neurosis is, I think this film, like, sort of taps into really different little areas of kind of the horror of real life uh, before it gets into the kind of genre horror as well at the end. But you're right, like the way it's kind of seeded throughout, like why is this guy locking the door and why are these other two people invited? And, you know, what's going on? Why is that woman like wearing no clothes in the other room? And, you know, why are they writing, lighting that red lantern in the garden? And there's all these like little creepy things that keep happening that just slowly kind of builds and builds. And yeah, you're right. You know, the fact that this main character is, He's a guy that's grieving. He's going through something. And so he's kind of a, a bit of an unreliable narrator. So is it all in his head? Is he paranoid? And again, I think the first time I watched it, that really kept me guessing all the way, all the way. And they really push it. You know, every time he he thinks he's discovered something, then it's not what he thinks. So, you know, when he thinks the, um, the friend's boyfriend turned up earlier, Ch- Choi, and so therefore something must be wrong. And then he turns up at the house anyway and it, and it keeps doing that where it pushes you and then pulls it back. Um, I love it. I think it's really masterfully directed by Karen Kusama.
2: But then he does know because he like says, don't drink the wine. Yeah. And Choi, choi's uh, girlfriend does and she's the only one that dies and suddenly there's a gun that appears from nowhere. He's just like, well... Okay, I don't
1: know. I don't know anymore. This is God. Weird. Things even escalate that, fast. Yeah, <laughs> even that moment is amazing. You know, when he when he knocks the wine, mm. you think that's it, and then he he accidentally knocks that girl out, and then so suddenly all the drama turns to that, and then you suddenly go, oh, maybe he was paranoid, maybe he's freaked out. Oh no, now he's accidentally killed somebody. But then you see that the girl has actually been poisoned at the dinner table, and it's like <laughs> you know, it's it's so clever. Yeah,
2: it was proper. yeah, to so talk about that cult aspect because it was. A bit of Brian's Jonestown Massacre with the drinking the Kool-Aid involuntary uh, uh, in this case. But um, for me, it was a lot of the kind of Manson family thing of stuff going awry in a house. Although, you know, from a slightly different angle, what were your thoughts on what well, you said about cults? But you and Anna, uh, Anna and Helen, you, are cults something that you're wary of in film or just in life in general?
0: Oh, I love cults. I mean, I, I, I mean... tend not to
3: hang out with them. <laughs>
0: I wouldn't say that I hang out with cults, but it's something that has always been an object of fascination for me. And you're totally right. There's so many. I think it sort of um, selects different recognizable totems of what makes a cult. You know, like the creepy lady who's naked for no reason or overly sexual and touchy-feely, all the new age language, Uh, the random dude with a weird druidic name. His name is Pruitt in the film that shows up and sort of has too much of a good vibes thing going on that really puts everybody off and kind of shares way too much about his own life that is extremely dramatic and intense and with people that he does not know from Adam. Uh, The kind of the spiked wine, which obviously reminds of um, the the Kool-Aid incident. Um, Even... I particularly love Michelle Huisman, who plays the new husband of Eden, the the lead character Will's ex-wife. Um he also plays another cult leader in this great film called The Other Lamb, which was released this year, last year at some point. It's very it's within the last uh year. And he's got this sort of this really intense, quiet charisma, but he's also a little bit too charming he's always veering on the creepy side of things and that figure of the charismatic cult leader i think is also uh very important in the film because he instantly draws people into him but there's something off about him and you never quite know whether it's this tension between will and him because of the relationship that they have with the same woman the fact that will is the ex-husband and this guy is the new husband or whether it's something more nefarious and i love the point that mike made earlier of the fact that you never quite know whether Will is just a little bit um unreliable a little bit too damaged or too depressed to or maybe overly sensitive given the situation like even from the moment go he is way too presented as being way too sensitive and seeing things that might not be there that might just be his own baggage that he's bringing with him uh but then you know he's right in in certain parts of the story at least
3: well my favorite film from last year was Midsummer, which there's kind of a lot of similarities between this obviously no spoilers but um just from kind of the grief aspect it's 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 quite a place to come from when you're making a film and both really really prevalent in this uh, so yeah when I was watching it the kind of the lot of similarities with that and Midsummer.
2: So let me see, That's that's presented as a cult in the in the trailers at least. Is that, um, yeah. Is that fair? yeah
1: fair?
3: Pretty fair to say.
1: Pretty pretty fair to say. And I think like they're all my those are mostly my favourite types of horror movies. These, I guess, The Wicker Man is a bit like this too, mm. and Rosemary's Baby to a point as well, where you've got this kind of this paranoid central character who thinks there is a group of people out there to get them or are planning something, but you you never quite know. They never quite show their hand until the very end of the film um i love these types of movies that rely more on on dread and paranoia than anything else you know
2: but it is obviously talked about the Manson sometimes talks about um the jonestown massacre um there's the one in texas um but yeah these things do happen so it's, it's, it's kind of it's a real threat it's a real real threat so i can understand why that is a, a thing where just all these people are suddenly happy clappy and In the same lingo and same vibe and like
1: oh it's it's the it's the conviction as well it's the it's the it's the it's the concept that they believe what they're doing is right so there's no um reasoning with them because they think what they're doing is for whatever bonkers reason they think what they're doing is 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 good in some way and righteous um and yeah that that somehow makes it all the more terrifying i think and uh yeah
3: I was going to say, but you do get that from his wife that you kind of sense that she genuinely believed that this was kind of like the solution and how to kind of absolve her of her grief and to make things better. So that's kind of like even scarier that she has kind of bought into this and, you know, is, you know, quite prepared to kill her ex-husband and what they consider their nearest and dearest friends to kind of get over the death of their son, which is terrifying in itself.
0: Absolutely. I think uh this entire film is about is an exploration of grief, you know, both Will and Eden are trying still to process probably one of the most painful experiences that a human being can go through, you know, the death of a child. And they're clearly going dealing with it in in diff- very different ways, extremely different ones. And Eden's choice of kind of engaging with this cult, who we never really learned too much about. It's all kind of piecemeal. And we just get little hints and nods as to what they're really selling. But one of the main things that's really striking on a really basic human level about the invitation, and it's really terrifying, is the fact that in order to just get over or accept her her grief and the sense of guilt that they both seem to have over the death of their child, is to completely forget about it is to try to eliminate it in some way at whatever cost and that obsessive faith and that kind of dedication to this cult that's offering her that escape is is really sad and it's really terrifying it's terrifying when you first watch it and then if you rewatch the film it actually gains this whole nother level of just deep deep sadness because you can see and i think it's very much down to the performances as well beneath the crazed glazed eyes that she's giving there's a real there's a real sadness there of someone who's just really desperately trying to get rid of the of the pain that they're going through and one of the kind of most amazing scenes for me was when will kind of confronts her and says to not deny the things that happened but that seems to be kind of the main selling point of the cult anyway to get people to get rid of the really painful stuff that they might have done or the they've been through you know by via murdering their friends i guess
2: (laughs) before we go to the i mean the the big kind of uh the final kind of 15 minutes what what do you think happened to the lady who had the wherewithal to say uh, yeah (laughs) this is too strange for me i'm gonna go Um,
1: well i hope she's safe (laughs) I know, but the problem is is that, and we'll get into this when we talk about the end, but the, the, there's that sudden realization, of course, that it's not just this house, it's the whole neighborhood. It's 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 several, however many houses. So I can't help but think that maybe something happened to her after she left in that car. Um, I
2: think I Purick killed her then, then and there. Yeah, oh, maybe.
1: Because Will's kind of, yeah,
2: because Will was looking, watching the over, and then. One of the, one of the friends kind of sideswipes him. I can't remember which which person it was. Um, just as Porak kind of goes around the corner, and you don't you don't see them. I think he just yeah. And shoot,
3: don't kill right my Oak, Kobe <laughs>
1: <laughs> And you just
2: need to be realistic. And Narration. it's
1: like uh, it's like Anna said. Like this film has actually got amazing rewatchability. I think as well because even though it is this mystery. It's so clever. Like, when you watch it again, kind of like with Rosemary's Baby and movies like that, you can kind of see the cogs behind the scenes. Like, you know what they're doing and why at different points throughout the night. And I love that as well. I think that uh, everything is very sort of carefully staged and carefully placed.
2: Uh, Okay, the final 15 minutes. Was it too much? Or was it just, like, perfect for you? Is that the the right press relief, do you reckon, for the the situation
1: absolutely perfect it was so good uh, like i felt like by that point we had really earned it like we were ready for this gruesome this proper felt like a home invasion horror film suddenly in that last 15 minutes and it's violent and it's nasty and it's tense uh i love it i think it's well and truly earned and then the last shot is the scary is one of the scariest shots in in horror i love it Helen was nodding ahead vehemently
3: there. yeah it's, it's really good because everything comes so fast and it, it is just really really tense and you've gone that far with not really knowing what's going to come next, that literally anything could happen. And yeah, that sort of the, the final shot is the kind of realization that it's, a, a, it isn't just kind of a revenge sort of dinner party thing. It's much bigger. You know, this kind of thing has been planned on a, a wide scale. And um, yeah, it's, it's one of those like crushingly devastating endings that are quite rare, but when they come along and they're done really well, they're really, really satisfying.
0: I think the film really earns that. I love that sentence, the crushingly devastating ending that it that it gives us because it really you almost feel a sense of relief when they get out. And then it just all completely comes crashing down on you and it becomes so much more terrifying. And I I love it. It's like the ending of Fight Club. It's one of the most perfect endings I've seen in movies. <laughs>
2: Because it just does it does really turn on on a on a sixpence because as as will Riley said accidentally will knocks out that girl, so you focus on her then it's back to their friend who's like foaming at her mouth and pre- presumably dead, and then it's a gunshot, so all that's happened within the space of like one minute, and he's he's suddenly like what hold on did i just, what what happened there and then it just goes even even further from there it becomes almost you know it's people being thrown through windows and stabbed through the heart and things like that. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a very, very, very uh, sharp turn for the worse, I
1: think. I mean, I've heard some negative takes on this film. I've heard some horror fans that say they just kind of found it too slow and, and dull, which which baffles me. But I, for some people, it takes too long to get to that genre thrill, maybe, that for so much of the film, you're just sitting, watching a, a, a dinner party play out. But um, <laughs> I I think, The last 15 minutes are as brilliant as the first hour and 30 minutes, to be honest. Like, I think it all (laughs) works so well. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Okay.
2: Should we head to the scores, guys?
3: So these are the FlixWatcher scoring system. All of the sections are scored out of five, and you may have decimal places if you wish. And uh, we will start with you, Mike, with the recommendability, please.
1: OK, recommendability out of five. Yes, please. I mean, a, a, absolute five. Oh, OK. Of course,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you recommended someone and they've they've come back to you with, uh, dude, what, what are you doing?
1: uh okay that's true yeah i have had that happen um i guess i guess so recommendability Block is this... those people mike i know i know i know uh so i suppose okay okay i'll lower it to a four because i suppose no, 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 what... hey, keep it, keep I'm, it five yeah just... what i would say is that it needs a i guess i always recommend it to people but with a caveat that maybe it's not going to be like watching scream or something you know like you've got to i guess in some ways you've got to know what you're in for but yeah i would recommend it to absolutely everybody yeah
0: Anna, absolutely stone cold five 100 percent. i would definitely recommend it okay. to everyone and i would particularly recommend it to people who might not identify as horror fans and who might be wary of the genre because i think this is a really good mix of horror thriller and kind of a very classic whodunit. Helen?
3: Um, So I'm going to go for 4.8 because there are people who this will be too slow um, and they just won't won't buy into it enough to enjoy it properly. And, you know, I think that out of all the genres, probably like maybe horror and westerns are kind of the hardest sell sometimes to people who aren't really fans.
2: More than musicals?
3: Maybe put musicals in there as well.
2: <laughs> um I'm gonna go for a four point five here. Um as a horror person, non-horror fan, this is this is a good example of I think what they could be. And I wouldn't put this as a traditional horror and um, I think I agree with Anna, it's more like a, for me it's more like a psychological thriller thing going on here, and you kind of just kind of you're trying to unpick the pieces and then when it does turn full uh, full horror. Then it's, I think it's completely worth it. And I think recently we, I mean, we've we've, re- we've reviewed Get Out on here. We reviewed. Um, we've done
3: we've done quite a few Unfollow. horror. Unfollow.
2: What's the, what's the one? Um, which one? The follow one. I can't remember. It follows. It follows. Yeah. Um, and a, re- a good horror. I call it I class as a horror film is the guest as well. Um, so I think there's a really good bunch of new horror films which are not of the standard. Not cut from the same kind of cloth as you know, fifteen twenty years ago, uh, which does make me reevaluate each time I say I'm not a big horror fan. See, but I'm then gonna, I'm like, "This pull, is good."
3: I wanted to put you up on this because every time we've had a horror recently, like you've yeah. said, I'm not a horror. Is it been good? But I quite like big this, big which makes me think you need to reevaluate whether you are a horror fan because I think maybe previously you've just watched horror films that aren't very good because. I had a look at ones that we we've reviewed and I'm like I'm pretty sure Kobe said I'm not a horror fan but I enjoyed that (laughs) didn't be all of them that we've had so maybe you just don't like bad horror films and secretly you do really like horror films and they've got a little face in your heart that you weren't quite sure was there for them
2: I think what happens is people who say they're horror fans are very happy to watch shit horror films and recommend it to people and I've got no time for that and there's some like old, old school zombie films, I'm just not even
1: frustrated. I can I'm not bothered. How but dare think
2: you? When a... Zombies are great. I think thing. that's
0: offensive. That's offensive to
1: <laughs> <laughs> How dare you say that? You don't say this kind of thing around me and Nana. <laughs> you see, there
2: you go. You see, you see? There's, there's people who like films who are good, which are good horror films, and they're, they're good films and they happen to be horror, and there's people who will seek out horror films, and I'm not someone who will ever seek out a horror film, but I'll happily watch a film that has a horror as long as it's like, good, if that makes sense. Sure. Sure. Repeat viewing score, Mike.
1: <laughs> uh, repeat viewing is uh, <laughs> a, a 4.5. Uh I think it's almost as brilliant second time round as first time round. Um the I, I suppose you lose that little bit of mystery when you rewatch it, but other than that there's so much other stuff to appreciate in different ways watching it a second time. Like I said, you know watching it knowing what the real intentions are and what's coming. Uh, only adds to the dread for me, so uh yeah, I absolutely love it. That would be a four point five
0: I'm gonna go five uh mainly because, like Mike said, it's a film that once you know what happens in the end, rewatching it again another couple times. Just makes for such a different and much more layered viewing experience, I think, because then you can sort of start to see how everything is pieced together and the dynamics between the characters gain a whole nother layer as well. So I'd say five.
3: So um I've only seen this once. Um and I think, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd like to see it again, maybe not immediately, but um, I think this could could be one that I return to um, on a few times. And also it's only one hour 40 as well, so it's 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 quite a nippy sort of length. So um, i can kind of get a generous four for this one, for repeat viewing.
2: Yeah, I'm going for 3.5. I think it definitely needs re-watching, um, just so you can, you can kind of track the paths of what's going on when Pruitt's first introduced and the um see what's going on between Eden and Eden and Will kind of thing you can kind of you can draw those lines a bit more. Um so I think that's interesting to see and also just check out check out Claire again. Just see what, you know I think she's dead. I think she died on you know at Pruitt's hands just before he came back into the house. Um but you know I might watch that a bit more closely and there's, it'd be good to see how the things now you know what's gonna happen, uh, where things are seeded more subtly than just locking the door and will saying, why do you lock the door because i think there must be a lot more other things that are going on that you don't really you don't really notice so 3.5 because i wouldn't watch it that much but i think i need to do watch it again small screen score
1: mike Small screen score five, absolutely five. This is the perfect film to watch on the small screen. Um, It is a film about people in one place, mostly one room. Uh, It's a lot of close-ups on faces, um, which I think are ideal films to watch on a small screen. Um, It's dialogue heavy, but it's also really tense. And, you know, it's a film about the horror of uh, being in somebody's home. So watch it in your home and and it only adds to that horror um everything is great on a big screen of course but i think this is it is always my go-to when people want to want a recommendation for a good small screen horror film to watch that's streaming that they may not have heard of
0: i'm gonna be real boring here and just say five because just to echo everything that mike was saying it's i i sadly missed it when it was released on the big screen i would like to see it on the big screen but I think it is perfect to watch at home because of its because of the setting and because of how it's been directed and because it seems it's very simple on the surface. The its depths and its layers and its complexities are all in the direction which is really smart and really economical and the relationships between the characters and so the script and it doesn't scream big screen um, and like Mike was saying you know if you're gonna host a dinner party and organize a, a movie viewing party then this is the one and it will probably freak people out and they won't talk to you for a week which you know always recommended.
3: Um. So uh, I, I started watching this on the iPad for logistic reasons and then and kept with it and it was quite a claustrophobic and um quite a great way to experience something very kind of close up and it almost felt like I was almost like peering in to the house having kind of like this watching on this little small screen um and I had a a lovely time doing that um (laughs) peering in uh so yeah I mean with all horror um I do like going to watch horror at the cinema i think it's a great experience but um the same as mike and anna have said because you're kind of going to the home and because the way it's shot so claustrophobic it didn't detract anything from me so um i'll go with a five as well on it
2: yeah i'm gonna go for a five as well um i think it's very it's very subtle in how it's shot and everything like that i think uh, mike put a good point about it it's mainly on people's faces the house looked amazing, but it wasn't about the house. Uh, I think the shot—I think they chose a lot of the, the shots really carefully. Um, I, I think if I'd gone to the cinema to see this, I don't think I would have got anything more out of it um, compared to when I saw *That Invisible Man*, where that was great to sit in the cinema and seeing other people squirming. And I don't think this is a squirmy one. Um, this is just like, oh wow, okay, that's that's taken a turn in a direction I didn't expect. Um, so it kind of makes you sit up, but it doesn't make you. You don't, I don't think there's that much of a collective experience from it. So I think uh, five works for me. Engagement score. This is quite high already. 3.5 so far. Anna, engagement score out of five.
0: Controversial, but I'm going to say a four. Mainly because I think it's a film that if it doesn't grip you in the first like 15, 20 minutes, you might give up on it because it is quite a slow burner. And if that's not something that you can engage with or if you're impatient or if you're just having kind of like an impatient type of day, it might be difficult to um, give it the breathing space that it needs. But I'd say for anyone who's kind of in that mood, just be patient with it
3: because it so earns its day.
2: Uh, Helen?
3: Yeah, I I understand what Anna's saying. Um, I think that if you don't kind of get this in the first sort of 20 minutes, then you're probably probably going to give up possibly. I'm not sure. Um, but for me, um, just engaged all the way through, just had no idea where it was going to go. Um, and you know, it's an hour, hour, 40 minutes, ideal length. Um, so a five from me for engagement.
2: Okay, I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this a four as well. Um, I think you need to be engaged, and it's kind of at the start. You're kind of like, where where's this going? It's a bit weird, but it does it does pay off. So I can understand people kind of waning at the start. And I think I was playing around them, um, like who? Where have I seen that guy before? And it ended up being Darian Harris, which is the the main thing I've, I've, I uh, I got from that, my my googling. Um, but it does pay off at the end. Um, so I do think. Yeah, four. I think four is good. And that gives us a score of 4.64. That's
3: really 3.75. High.
2: That's super high. It's yeah. what Adam and I would have anticipated before coming into, into this recording. Um, that's amazing. So we'll go to Twitter. Before we record, guys, we do put a shout out on Twitter and ask for people's uh, opinions and thoughts and retweets and say something like, in this occasion, we're reviewing the invitation with Anna be Demented and the movie Mike have you seen it? Give us your thoughts and they rating out five stars and we've got quite a few responses for this which is, which is always lovely um, Mike do you want to take the first one? Uh,
1: yeah okay so this first reply is from at uh, Daisy Jane and she says I just watched this last night brilliantly sinister slow burn would have liked to know a bit more about the you know what uh, yeah <laughs> which I would agree with it leaves you with a lot uh, still lingering but I love that about it
2: um, Anna,
0: do you want to take the next one that's on your screen? Sure. Um, so, Tasteless Podcast says a solid four. I really enjoyed how it built tension. I wasn't quite sure how things would go, and I've told many people to check it out. Logan Marshall Green really shines. I'd agree, Logan. You know, A.K. Discount Tom Hardy. To be fair, it does really yeah. shine, and he's also he's also really good at upgrade. I think he's uh, he's building himself quite a, a really nice niche within genre as a kind of really reliable leading mm. man.
2: Helen, do you want to say the next one in on your screen? So the
3: next one I've got is from L J Human at Luke Human watched this the same day i watched parasite and it has also stayed with me which is a good sign a really tight tense drama that sustains enough mystery to be engaging right up until a well-paced and satisfying end four stars
2: nice i think parasite is quite a nice thing to compare it to well, house and strange things uh we wouldn't say no more about parasite um mike do you want to turn the next one that's on your screen
1: Uh, Yeah, this one came from at Meg Wright's words. She said, loved it. Four out of five stars. I thought it was a compelling exploration of grief and paranoia plus solid horror. This quote from the director, Karen Kusama, really stood out to me. We culturally dismiss people who are paranoid, but the irony is we have a lot to be paranoid about. I love
2: that quote. That's great. Good one, that one.
1: Yeah.
2: Paranoid about people delivering your, your Tesco delivery. <laughs> um, make up the leggy. Um, is there any more there? Um, I Couple think there's, there's one more. Yeah, Anna, you want to say what we're not ready yet?
0: Um, the STST cast at STST cast says it was meh. The ending seemed very telegraphed. I mean, I'm sorry, <gasps> you're wrong. <laughs>
2: How dare they? Yeah. Uh, and Helen, there's one more.
3: Yep, so the last one is from The Countdown Pod. Greatly enjoyed this low-budget but tense film with an excellent payoff. Logan Martian Green, aka Tom Hardley, like what you did there, is very good. start. nice.
2: nice. Anna and Mike, can you just sign off by letting people know where we can find you online and uh, remind them of the names of your podcast, and then we'll all say goodbye.
1: Uh, Yeah, Yep. So my name's Mike. You can find me on Twitter at The Movie Mike uh, and my podcast, Evolution of Horror... Um, you can find that on twitter at evolution pod and all the places where you'd normally get your podcasts
0: i'm anna you can find me on twitter at anna Demented, and i host the podcast the final girls and the next supremes both of which you can find everywhere where you get your podcasts.
2: okay <laughs> thank you very much guys
0: bye
3: thanks Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben. And that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood, Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you.
1: You just heard a Stripped Media production.